Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Janet Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities. And today, in honor of Black History Month, we're discussing the uses and misuses of Black history with Brandon Render, a soon-to-be assistant professor of history here at the U. Professor Render's current research project, Colorblind University, explores the relationship between race and higher education through the lens of race-neutral policies, practices, and ideas during the civil rights and black power era. So every February, we celebrate Black History Month with celebrations and stories that are sometimes just glimpses or highlights of the black experience in this country, sometimes aimed just to create a specific narrative. What is that? What is that narrative? Yeah, that's a good question. And so what I've found is that when black history is often included in American history, that it is framed as a progress narrative. And so what I mean by that is we think about the progression of American history, but then how black history fits within that. So we can start with how Abraham Lincoln emancipated the enslaved African and African-Americans in the 1860s. And then how after segregation, during the civil rights movement, black Americans overcame racial separation through legal and social measures, but that now we no longer have to deal with race and racism in what we typically refer to as a post-racial society. And so basically this progress narrative, it's become overused, but it also glosses over much of what black history actually is. And so black history isn't just a struggle against race and racism, but it could also be about black life and black culture. We could think about this in terms of black art, black music. We can think about it in terms of kinship networks or family. But then we can also think about that alongside activism and black intellectuals, how black people have how black Americans have contributed to this overall overall idea of America. So how are the history books using and misusing black history? Yeah, well, I found that the the most glaring issue is that uh, black history isn't included at all. And so in some cases, you can argue that it isn't used whatsoever. But then in other cases, you can see how the progress narrative sort of frames black history, but then how this progress narrative leads to the simplification of black history in particular, but American history in general. And so, you know, I think that this simplification process is an overall symptom of of how we want history to be viewed, and that in many ways, black history falls victim uh, to that interpretation, that simplified or simplistic interpretation of American history. So what is, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of using this narrative and uh, using and misusing black history like this? Well, I think the overall purpose of, of using or misusing, sometimes distorting black history, is that it really ignores or, or glosses over the depths of history. But then it also makes it difficult for us to confront contemporary issues. And so one example of that 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 I always think about 
is the case of Rosa Parks. And so it's, it's a popular event or a popular moment in history that we typically think about. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama in December 1955. And so after that, Rosa Parks was arrested. There was a year-long bus boycott that eventually led to the desegregation of buses in the city. But what a lot of people choose to ignore is that desegregation was a process and that even after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat, we had cases like the Freedom Riders where another group of people tried to desegregate buses in the South and it almost cost them their lives. And so they were faced with violence throughout the South. Uh, they were beaten. Some, some of them were almost killed. The buses were bombed. And so you can actually see the photos of it where people would wait for them at certain stops where they would, they would wait for them to get off the bus and then they would engage them with violence. But then another thing that this sort of glosses over too is how after Rosa Parks was arrested, she was released pretty quickly, but that wasn't always the case, especially in the segregated South. And so if we're thinking about something like police violence, in most cases, black Americans, not just in the South, but throughout the country, were beaten. Sometimes women were sexually assaulted or raped while in police custody. And that's also in addition to other conditions that they faced, like being forced into labor practices, sort of like prison labor camps. And so what this does whenever we ignore these parts of history is that it prevents us from confronting contemporary issues. Because if we're asking the question, if black Americans were facing violence at the hands of law enforcement officers back during segregation, and then we see the video evidence of the same thing continuing now. How can we commit to this idea, the progress narrative? How can we commit to this idea that things have gotten better, but maybe aren't good enough yet? And so that's, that's part of the, the purpose of distorting black history is that and really, in a lot of ways, it's an ideological battle to, to prevent people from from really facing what happened in the past and how that connects to what we see today. And so what are, how is this dangerous? How is not misusing these, um, or I guess, how, how are these narratives dangerous to the country today, to people today? You kind of already went into it a little bit, but if you could expand upon that a bit. Yeah, no, that's a great question, because in addition to police violence and the way that we think about the history of, of violence between law enforcement and black communities, uh, you know, we, we do see that there are real world consequences to how we how we view history and how our, our views of history impact the way that we think about contemporary society. But, you know, don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like it's something that a lot of people have heard about. But whenever you think about the critical race theory debate, that's another another way in which black history has been misused uh, to really achieve the goals of, of people who have no connection to black history. And so in, in particular, if you go back a couple of years to, to the summer of 2020, whenever in the wake of George Floyd's murder, there was this rise in anti-racism awareness and education. And so there were anti-racism workshops and trainings, and eventually a conservative activist named Christopher Rufo 
received word of, of, of how these trainings were impacting the way that people thought about contemporary race relations. And so he did a lot of investigating and he found that uh, critical race theory was used to frame a lot of anti-racism trainings and workshops. In addition to the two popular books of the summer of 2020, Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist and Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility. And so what he found is that by garnering support and opposition to critical race theory, he could use this as a way to eliminate anti-racism education and training. And so he brought this to the White House. Well, what happened is he, he made a series of, of, uh, of public appearances. Eventually, the White House and Donald Trump uh, received word of it. And then that's whenever you have the White House Conference on American History in September 2020, in which Martin Luther, or, or sorry, in which Donald Trump explicitly invokes the principles of Martin Luther King, specifically his I Have a Dream speech to argue that that what he calls toxic propaganda like anti-racism education and critical race theory uh, are poisoning the, the minds of, of young children. And so not too long after that, you have the anti-racist or, or the anti-critical race theory bills that are passed at the state level uh, throughout the United States. But then how we've also really engaged in this critical race theory debate which has often been premised on black history and our readings of the black past. And so it, it really highlights the distortions of, of, of black history, the way that it's used and really the political purposes of how we unlock certain moments or certain ideas uh, within history to achieve contemporary political goals. And so how, how does this country begin I know this is a this is a big question, but how does our country begin to rectify the way Black history is told? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and one of the things that I do this in class with my students is that I, I challenge them to to question or critique uh, the role of history in popular culture. So this isn't just Black history, but really history in general. And so, for thinking about the way that we see uh, the way that we see history as it's portrayed in TV shows and video games and political speeches, what do we feel like this person, this, uh, this medium is trying to tell us uh, about history? And so are they being thoughtful with their expressions of history? Are they simplifying parts of history to achieve a certain goal? And so just to think about it in a little bit more depth, but really whenever it comes to black history, you know, I encourage students to always go back to the source. And so instead of believing what someone tells you about Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, why don't you just go ahead and read that speech on your own and then come to your own conclusions about it? Even better yet, don't just read, don't just stop with the I Have a Dream speech, but also contextualize that by Martin Luther King Jr.'s other writings. And then to go even further than that, try to contextualize that with more writings, more speeches, more ideas that are held by black Americans in the time that Martin Luther King Jr. is giving his I Have a Dream speech and also publishing other books and articles. And so one of the things that I usually tell students is that they should see this, they should seek out information on their own. Instead of believing what someone tells them, why don't they go ahead and read whatever document 
listen to whatever video or audio source it is uh, that they should listen to to really come to their own conclusions. Because one of the things that I think that we do too much with history is that we wait until someone tells us what we should think about history instead of figuring out what we think about history on our own. And so usually what I tell my students is as their instructor, as their professor, it's not my responsibility to teach them what to think about history, but to teach them how to think about history. And so giving them the tools that they need uh, to interpret specific events or ideas that happened in the past uh, so that they can develop their own framework for understanding history. What are, what are some of the just blatant omissions of Black history that you encourage your students to look into, or just others in general that you encourage them to look under that are just completely missing from the Black experience in our country? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so one of the one of the blatant omissions that I feel like is is somewhat recent occurred, I guess, over the past six or seven years with the debate around Colin Kaepernick and how he took a knee and how a lot of people saw that as either disrespecting the flag or disrespecting soldiers. And so I use an example of Atticus Hull, who is a, a free black man that fought in the American Revolution. He's from Massachusetts. And he left behind a series of writings that basically explained his uh, decision to join the military during the American Revolution. And what it came down to is that he felt like this would be his opportunity as a black man to gain the citizenship rights that should have been guaranteed to him all along. And so what I found is that a lot of people typically perceive the soldiers that Colin Kaepernick is supposedly disrespecting as usually white American soldiers. But what I try to challenge students to think about, what I try to challenge other people to think about in conversation, is that Colin Kaepernick was basically taking a knee for the same reason that black American soldiers in the past have joined the military. And so there's not much of a disconnect there, just in the, the, the differences in how they choose to express those beliefs and then how they choose to pursue, uh, how they choose to pursue those goals. But then another blatant omission that I've seen is that black history is still very male centric and that we haven't done a very good job of, of incorporating the perspectives of black women. And so this is, this is not just in academic or institutionalized settings, but really in popular culture as well too. You know, we usually see Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X's name, sometimes Rosa Parks, but not as often. We usually see, see MLK and Malcolm X you know, on whatever, uh, whatever popular culture, public history project it is that refers to the recent black past. But we know that there are a lot of historians, a lot of black women historians that are doing work to, uh, to really illuminate black women's contributions uh, throughout American history and not just American history, but really world history as well. And so you can think about this in terms of, you know, this, this kind of goes back to your question too about how can, how can interpretations or distortions of black history, uh, be dangerous. Uh, and so I, I think about this in terms of how, uh, racial stereotypes, racial and gendered stereotypes against black women have, have led to black women being at increased risk for sexual assault and rape. 
uh, especially when we think about this uh, in terms of black transgender women as well. And so there, there's been a lot of great work from Deborah Gray White to Brenda Stevenson to one of my mentors, Donna Ramey Berry, uh, who has done work to illuminate the conditions that black women have faced, how they've responded to this, but then how it still sort of manifests in contemporary society. And so, you know, the, the two issues that, uh, that I've seen the most are, are really engaging with, with these debates about history uh, like in the Colin Kaepernick situation, uh, but then also being more inclusive in our historical perspective. And so it doesn't just end with black women. We can go much further than that. Uh, but that's just one example that, I, that I've uh, continued to, to see, uh, not just in, in my own studies and in my own research, but, uh, but then also popular conceptions of black history as well. And uh, Professor Render, I saw on just on your Twitter page, um, you had you had recommended some readings about about Black history. Um, can you uh, tell me what those? Can you just tell our listeners what those are? So the the books that I recommended are uh, well, the book that I recommended was Patrice Con Kohler's When They Call You a Terrorist, and this is actually a, a really interesting book because Patrice Con Kohler's is one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. She's one of three, along with Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi. Uh, who basically turned the, the social media hashtag into a movement. And so the, the book itself is great because it gives you a glimpse into the conditions that black Americans face at multiple levels. It's sort of an introduction to the movement for black lives uh, policy agenda, the vision for black lives. But a lot of Patrice Kahn Kohler's interpretation is steeped in black history. And so you can see the specific references that uh, they make to certain figures in the past, like Angela Davis, but then also specific events. And so, for example, uh, Kohler's uh, identifies as an abolitionist. And so she talks about the, the historical importance of abolition work and how even today, a lot of people see abolition as idealistic, but in the past, it's worked before with the abolition of slavery, the abolition of, of segregation. And so now those same principles and practices are being applied to uh, other concepts that we face today, like uh, the criminal justice system and the prison industrial complex. And so I usually use Patrice Kahn Kohler's book uh, towards the end of a, of a course on black intellectuals or black political thought uh, to show students how how black history influences contemporary notions and practices uh, of, of, of uh, the work that black Americans are doing to, uh, to promote equity and inclusion, but then also uh, to achieve liberation. Uh, but then it also serves as a real world example of what people are doing today uh, to achieve all of those concepts as well. That was Brandon Render, Assistant Professor of History. For more information about the University of Utah College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to Humanities Radio.